Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing well. I always say that. And I want to talk to you today kind of about that topic. I want to talk to you about something that I think weighs a lot of us down. And that is these feelings that are heavy and a lot of us have them. We blame ourselves for our child's anxiety or OCD in all sorts of creative ways that we find it is our fault. And I'm going to go through the many different ways that We can blame ourselves. And some of them might be things that you're doing and you don't realize that it's actually that there is a blame there. Uh, We can be naive to that. We can be naive to even how we are shaming ourselves or making ourselves feel guilty. And something recently happened to me a couple of days ago where this bubbled up and I realized, oh my gosh, I have some blame that I'm putting on myself. I'm owning some things that I don't need to be owning. And That's why I wanted to do this topic because sometimes I try to channel whatever I'm going through. I know it sounds kind of selfish, but when I talk from my heart and from what I know, I tend to be more effective and helpful because it's something that I'm living and I talk about things I'm not living, but I do feel like sometimes that can help. So I'm going to talk today about how we blame ourselves, the many, the multitude of ways we can find to blame ourselves for our child's anxiety or OCD, different facets of how we do that. And then I'm also going to talk about how we can stop doing that and how it actually doesn't help our kids. Sometimes I find that the impetus for change isn't how it will make us feel better, but it is how it will make our children feel better. And so ironically, sometimes the only way to actually get parents and myself included to make changes in mindset or perception when it comes to just solely them it has to be motivated. Well, that doesn't have to be, but for a lot of parents who are very selfless and very focused solely on their child and their child's well-being, when they know this isn't helping their child, and in fact, this could be holding their child back, there's more motivation to say, okay, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. So let's talk about this blame thing, Natasha. Tell me why this is not good only for me, not only for me, but also for my child. And I'm going to talk to you about that in a non-blaming sort of way. But before I get started, I do want to say thank you to NoCD, who's sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. And the cool thing is they're available in the U.S. and in other countries outside of the United States, which I love. So you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation and see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. I'm getting really good feedback from members of the AT Parenting community who are in my online community who are using NoCD and have been looking for a, um, an OCD therapist and couldn't find one in their area and went through no CD. So you can go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes and you can schedule a free consultation with them and see if they're cool for you. All right, let's talk about this blame game that we're all playing and we all play it at different levels. So I honestly don't think there's anyone who's completely not blaming themselves because it's almost like a parental thing that we do is we take a lot of ownership on our responsibility to raise these happy, healthy human beings. And 
when that's not going smoothly, which by the way, it never does. Everybody's got their struggles. Ours happens to be anxiety or OCD, but every, every parent has their struggles with their kids. They hit a snag. And when they hit a snag, the first people they look at is in the mirror and say, what are you doing wrong? And it's not a black and white thing. So it's not like we aren't responsible for certain things, but we have to decipher what are we responsible for and what are we not responsible for? What is solely in our lap and what isn't in our lap? Now, obviously, if we have a child who has been exposed to domestic violence or if we're dealing with drug abuse or alcohol abuse or or neglect or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, you know, and we are doing that to our children, that's not about anxiety or OCD. Um, That's just about trauma. And that's different. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our children having a physiological disorder, right? An anxiety disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder that is highly genetic and something that can happen to any child from all walks of life, all socioeconomic brackets. And our children all look the same. They all have similar disorders. And that's because it's like diabetes or asthma. We wouldn't go around saying, Hey, you know, you caused your child to have asthma. That would be, that'd be inane. And it's very similar when we're talking about disorders. So I do want to, I just want to clarify before I get into this, you know, that if somebody's had a rough childhood and they've had trauma related to it, um, and then they're anxious because of it, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking purely about, you know, an anxiety disorder or OCD. Okay. I just want to get that out there. So I don't get a bunch of emails from people being like, Hey, you know, parents can influence their kids' struggles. Yes, they, they can. And we're going to talk about that. But there has been a historical precedence for, for parents, especially mothers, to be blamed for mental health issues. And this goes back into our history for a very long period of time. Autism was blamed on refrigerator mothers. Do you remember that? OCD was blamed on mothers who got toilet training wrong. Um, schizophrenia was blamed on, I think it was blamed on disconnected parents, but it was the mother again. And this is not too far into our recent past. And so we do have a historical pattern of blaming the mother. So this blame that we are placing on ourselves has a societal um, precedence of, you know, in our, I don't know what I'm trying to say, in our history that professionals and doctors would look at the mother and say, what's the mother doing wrong? So of course that it's in our DNA to say, what are we doing wrong? And we have this maternal instinct or paternal instinct to, you know, protect our kids as well. I did link a article that is actually called that historical precedence for blaming parents for mental health issues. I was looking, um, cause I wanted to see what I, I knew they, um, the term refrigerator mothers. I actually thought that was for schizophrenia. But in the article, they were saying that's for autism. But I thought I remember reading that was something they called um, refrigerator mothers for schizophrenia, but I could be wrong. So anyway, I did stumble on this article and it's a very quick read. And so I did link it in the show notes um, and on my website if you want to read that. But I did want to start off with this podcast episode talking about how there has been a precedence for us to blame ourselves and it's been backed up by doctors. And so, there is that. So let me talk about the different ways that we tend to blame ourselves. And a lot of this is obvious, but I want to reiterate it because I want, as I'm talking about this, you want to 
pay attention to your body and see where this is hitting you. So as I go through this list of different ways that we can blame ourselves, you're going to feel it in your gut when it's something that you're doing because you're going to think, yep, oh my gosh, that's me. Sometimes we don't know this is me. I'm very like mind and body disconnected. And so a lot of times like with my grief, I'll be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. That wouldn't trigger me or that's not going to bother me. And then all of a sudden, like I'm like wrecked for days. I'm like, oh my gosh, why did that bother me? I didn't think that would bother me. So some of us are a little bit less in tune than others as far as how we feel about things. So I'm going to go over them and I'm inviting you to pay attention to your body as I talk. Listen to your body. Your body will tell you what your mind is thinking. (laughs) It's true. So we can blame ourselves. The number one way that we can blame ourselves is through parenting, you know, and this can be in a, in a multitude of ways. Maybe, um, I'm not being strict enough, or maybe I coddle him too much. You know, other people say I coddle him too much. So maybe I've created this kid who can't handle any discomfort. And so it's, you know, my parenting. And unfortunately, sometimes we get partners or relatives or friends who will reiterate that or the the school, all sorts of people, or the doctor, or even the therapist who will reiterate this to you. And so you have to know in your own gut, whether that's accurate or not. If your child has an anxiety disorder or OCD, parenting alone cannot create a disorder. It cannot create an anxiety disorder or OCD. It can make it worse. And we're going to go into that because I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. I'm going to tell you where we can help and where we can actually hurt. But I'm going to take the blame off of the things that you're carrying that you shouldn't carry because that's not causing anxiety and anxiety disorder or OCD. Now I'm saying disorder because I can have an anxious child who is anxious because maybe I have, you know, drastic mood swings, or maybe, you know, I struggle with substance abuse, or maybe I have domestic violence situation in my house and my child is anxious because of those. And that's why I keep saying disorder, because I'm not talking about trauma-based anxiety. I'm talking about, you know, my child is afraid to throw up and yeah, maybe they threw up and had a bad experience five years ago, but now they can't handle that. And my child's afraid of separating and nothing bad has ever happened to them. They have separation anxiety. So I'm talking about that. So parenting, we blame ourselves on, you know, maybe I'm coddling, maybe I'm not strict enough. Maybe I'm too strict. They're catching it because they're seeing me and how I'm anxious. And so, you know, I'm modeling anxiety or I'm modeling OCD. And so, because they see me doing my compulsions or they see me being anxious, then my kids are following suit. You know, if your child sees you having a hard time breathing because they have asthma, it doesn't mean that they're going to get asthma as well. Now, we're going to talk about how we can make things worse or better. So, stay tuned for that. But it's not all encompassing. It's not like, okay, because they see you being anxious or because you're parenting in a certain way, you have been able to create that disorder. The next one that I see is not doing enough. Did that hit you in the gut? <laughs> that one always hits me in the gut. And I'm like, I'm an anxiety and OCD therapist and that's what I do for a living, but I always feel like I'm not doing enough. And this can, these can be themes that maybe you have weaved into other parts of your life. Maybe you feel like you're never doing enough for anybody, not doing enough for your partner. You're not doing enough for your workers or not doing enough for your friends. You're not doing enough for yourself. These don't have to be just for your child, right? These are, these are narratives that we carry for, for lots of relationships, but maybe you feel like you're not doing enough. Like maybe 
you need to be pushing harder, or maybe you need to be getting them into therapy, even if they don't want it, or maybe you need to be learning more about anxiety or OCD, or maybe you need to be whatever it is. You're just not doing enough. You're not doing it hard enough or good enough or long enough or intense enough or consistently enough, right? So many of us have that one. I do. The next one, I'm going to go just go through them, is the home environment. So maybe you feel like, um, man, and I mean, this could be really literally anything, but I'll give you some examples. Maybe you think, oh my gosh, maybe it's because they're an only child and they didn't have any other kids to play with. And so they're really like clingy to me, or maybe, and I'm just making up different scenarios. I mean, it could be literally anything that you're going to, you know, place blame on. Maybe it's because there is a relationship issue with you and your partner. And you feel like, you know, maybe if they had a happy, happy parents, then they would be happy. Or maybe it's because you got a divorce, or maybe it's because one partner died, or maybe it's because, um, you don't have enough money, or maybe it's because you have too much money, whatever home environment can be something that we blame. And it can be reiterated or validated by outside people again. So a lot of this stuff doesn't get um, reconfirmed by those that we talk to. Not always, but sometimes. And the last one that I see is when people accept all the other stuff most of the time, then they blame their genetics. I did this. I caused this. This was in my DNA. These were my genes. My husband and I used to joke. He'd be like, thanks for the, you know, Thanks for the anxious kids. And I'd be like, not too fast on that one. Cause let's look at your family tree. But sometimes there's, a, and like, we would do that jokingly, but sometimes it's not joking between partners. Sometimes um, there is a burden of, I, I carried this on. And so I want to go through those and talk about how we can reframe those things because genetics, well, we'll go through them individually. Because overall, I want to talk about what we can control and what we can't control, what we control and what we do not control, how we show up for our children and what things we burden ourselves with and what things we don't. And so when we're looking at these things, and I mean, really looking at what we control and what we don't control in life in general is a very good thing. It's what I do all the time when, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm anxious about something and I'll say, I don't have any control over that. That is what it is. My daughter was, I'm going to get into this story about her, but she was having a hard time with her birthday coming up. And she was worried that she was going to be in a bad mood and she's going to ruin her birthday. And it wasn't a light worry. It was like a serious worry. Um, like she was ruminating and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we'll talk about that in a second. I'm to give you an example of where I was blaming myself, but I was saying to her, We don't get to control our emotions. Like that just shows up. We can control what we do with them. Do we accept them? Do we reject them? Do we push them away? We can't control what bubbles up, right? And it's the same thing. We can't control whether we feel blame, but we can control what we do with it. And on a deeper level, I'm going to talk about what we control for our children's anxiety and OCD and what we can't control. So let's go through them. So parenting. Yes, we do have some control over that. And so we can take ownership in the sense that say, that says, I'm going to try to be the best parent that I can be and perfectly perfect for a child with anxiety or OCD, which means, you know, I am going to understand what kind of therapeutic environment in my house I have to create in order to be the best parent that I can be 
or an anxious child or a child with OCD, because it will look different. Parenting style will look different because you're raising a child with anxiety or OCD. So yes, that does make a difference. And you do have control over that. Um, There are going to be times where you're going to do it wrong because I do. And I'll tell you all about it because I do. But that is one thing that you can do. You can show up and educate yourself for sure. I think that's true, right? It doesn't mean you're going to always knock it out of the park. It doesn't mean that you're going to always say the right thing or do the right thing because no human being does. But yeah, our parenting can help. Does that mean that it created your child's anxiety or OCD disorder? No, it doesn't mean that. And so that's very different. So can you control your parenting style and try to come up with the best parenting style that will help your child's journey? Absolutely. And insight is great, but did it cause your child's anxiety or OCD? No. And when you're learning about how to approach your child's anxiety or OCD, especially OCD, there will be pangs of guilt because inevitably you will have done something wrong because that's just how it goes, especially with OCD. I was actually just being interviewed for um, Janine Holleran's podcast, and we were talking about this. And I was saying that she was saying, what, what should parents avoid or what, what do parents do wrong? And I said, it's the most counterintuitive way to approach any problem. It is not, it's not something that you're going to feel in your maternal gut. You're not going to say, let me have my child sit in discomfort. Let me not give my child reassurance because I'm actually talking to OCD and I'm completing an OCD compulsion. You won't know that because you weren't educated. And so a lot of parents who take my how to teach kids to crush OCD course online, I'll get comments, you know, in the course, sometimes people email me and they'll say, oh my gosh, I've been doing everything wrong. I feel so bad. I've been doing everything wrong. I didn't realize that I was growing my child's OCD. And I don't want any parent to feel like, I don't want any parent to feel guilty or to blame themselves for responding in an intuitive, you know, maternal instinct sort of way. We do the best we can do with the knowledge that we have. And our job is just to get the right knowledge. And that's what you're doing. You're listening to this podcast. Some of you have taken my courses and that's what you're doing. You're getting the knowledge that you can to create that family environment. That's going to be conducive for your child's anxiety or OCD. So you do have control over that. So you do control how you show up to parenting, but your parenting didn't cause a disorder. Just like your parenting can't cause asthma, your parenting can't cause a disorder. If I was having asthma attacks in front of my child, that my child's not going to, they, maybe they would mimic me if they're like two or three, but they're not going to get asthma just based on seeing me. Okay. So moving on to the next one, not doing enough. You know, we always feel like we're not doing enough, but what I realized is we are only a sliver of the puzzle. And this is kind of what prompted me to actually do this episode was because my daughter was having a really hard time and um, right. So she was ruminating about her birthday. She's starting to develop the moral OCD, which is brand new, which I'm like, gee, thank you. Cause we kind of got her other themes were like really under control. And so, you know, what OCD does is like, let's come up with a new one. How about she's a horrible person. So she's been having intrusive thoughts that she's a bad person. She ruins holidays. She ruins her birthday. And so she was spinning out of control. I'm trying to think if this was This was like the day after her birthday. I ruined my birthday. I'm a horrible person. I'm worthless. All of these things. And it was beyond moral OCD because at first, okay, (laughs) I never really throw myself under the bus. 
I was like, let's do exposures for this. And so I put sticky notes. Well, I asked her, she was a little reluctant, but then she agreed. We could put sticky notes all around the house that said, I ruined my birthday because she like couldn't take a shower or have any downtime because she was having these intrusive thoughts. And so she was like literally trying to have like distraction 24 seven. So she didn't have to think that she ruined her birthday. So not anxiety, definitely more like OCD, intrusive thoughts, you know, being bombarded with those thoughts over and over and over and over again. And so we, I put sticky notes around the house as an exposure, but then she started to really just, I can't remember what happened. She did something to someone else. She did something to her brother that wasn't, oh, I remember what happened. Okay. I can't talk about this on the podcast because it's private, but she did something that was socially off. And so I corrected her in a, I thought a very like structural criticism sort of way. I know that sentence didn't sound good, but that's what I did. Um, I thought I was, I had my therapist hat on and I was approaching her in a very soft way, but she did something that was just socially off and it was a learning experience. Like it needed to be explored. And because I knew she was already sensitive from the other day and the birthday, and I'd already put the notes up all over the house, you know, I I was being very careful about how I explored this with her, but it did not matter because she like completely imploded. And, you know, it was a rough couple of hours where she's like, I'm, a, I'm mean, you're saying I'm mean, I'm a horrible person. That's not what I said. And so we went through all of this and then I had to go take down the sticky notes because she was like really, truly having a moment where she didn't think she was worthy, that she was a horrible person. It wasn't OCD at that point. She was just really spinning out of control. And then seeing all these little stickers all around the house where it was says, you ruined your birthday. It just was like really bad timing for that exposure. <laughs> But after we kind of debriefed and she got a little bit better, I just said, she would say these things like, I'm like, what's my purpose? I'm like, nobody. I don't make anyone happy. I, you know, just like these horrible things that no parent wants to hear and instantly go and blame yourself. You know, you get, it's hard for me not to get defensive when, when your child is saying those things, you think, what did I do wrong? And so I said to her, and she's very mature, you know, for her age, you've heard her on this podcast. If you listen to me often. And I said to her, I don't understand you because out of all the kids, right? I've got three of them out of all the kids. I like you and I don't butt heads nearly as much as the other two. She's the youngest child. So she kind of gets spoiled. She gets doted on by me. And I recognize that. And, you know, I butt heads with my oldest and my son and I sometimes, you know, have more struggles. And she's like, quote unquote, easy child that, you know, I get the most. And so she gets a lot of positive attention and she knows it. And when her dad was alive, she would always say, I'm a daddy's girl. I'm a daddy's girl. And he loved her. Like he doted on her as well. And they were very close. He was the closest to her. And so I said to her, I don't understand because I can't pour any more in your cup than I already do. Like you are the most doted on person in this house and your dad doted on you the most. Like you are like, I call her my, I literally call her my sparkle. You know, you're my sparkle. And I jokingly say to her, and this isn't like against my other kids, but I jokingly say, where's my VIP. You know, I I say that to the other kids too sometimes, but it's mainly a, a me and her joke. Like you're my VIP, you're my sparkle. And you know, I don't, 
leave my other kids out. (laughs) It's kind of making me sound like I leave my other kids out. But my point is she gets a lot of positive attention. And she said, you know, mom, it's not about you. It's not about what you do or what you don't do or what dad did or what he didn't do. It's about me. And I was born this way. And it's something inside of me that says I'm not worthy or I'm not worth it or I'm not valued. It's me. You can't fix it. And that really threw me back because I hadn't looked at it that way. I assumed I was doing something wrong because I said to her, I can't fill you up any more than I am. You are overflowing. Your cup is overflowing. And her words like kind of opened up my eyes that she's right. This isn't about me. I'm not, I have done nothing wrong. (laughs) I sound like I'm defensive. I've done nothing wrong, but I really haven't with this child. You know, if it was one of my other kids, I could say, oh, you know, we butt heads at that time or this, especially my oldest, you know, she's 18 and you know, we're oil and water, oil, vinegar, vinegar and oil. I don't know, but you know, we clash because our personalities are different, but not the little one. And it made me realize that we think that we have all of this control, that I have the power. And if you really flip it, and somebody had said this to me, this is totally off topic, but somebody, I was talking to somebody about my husband's death and the guilt that comes with that and the creative ways we can find, find it to be our, our fault. You know, in death, we always, not always, but many people, including myself, can find the things that we did that we over-identify as it's over-responsibility, that it's our fault on some level. If we could have done this, if we should have done this, you know, if only. And somebody had said something like, you know, why are you assuming that you have all the power and control like to change everything? And it, it kind of threw me back because I was kind of saying like, you know, you're not the only person. And I feel like we can say the same thing for parenting. It's like, why am I putting so much responsibility that I am the only thing in everything that's going on in my child's life? I am the only thing that can impact her self-esteem, her self-confidence, her anxiety, or her OCD. Like I'm the only element. The burden is fully rested on me. She takes no ownership. Other people don't take any ownership. You know, life, the environment, genetics, her friends, her inner dialogue, her inner talk, you know. Her, her chemistry. There's a lot of other stuff going on that has nothing to do with us. And so I think that's an important thing to look at. So you are only one part of your child's journey. You are only one aspect of your child's journey. There's a lot of other things that are going on within your child. Uh, I think there is a bit of a wiring issue when it comes to a child's tenacity to tackle their anxiety or OCD. You have kids that are naturally avoidant and you know, don't want to deal with these things and want to bury their head in the sand. And I do think that's a wiring issue. And then you have kids that are going to take the bull by the horns and they, you know, they just need the tools, but then they're going to go and run with it. And so you might be like in my AT parenting community, or you might be talking to other parents who are raising kids with anxiety and OCD. And you can think, what am I doing wrong? Because their kid's doing so good. Their kid is taking all these skills and is improving And my child doesn't even want me to say the word anxiety or OCD. So what am I doing that that parent isn't doing? And you're missing a big piece. Those kids are two different kids. 
with different biologies, different wiring, different temperaments. That has nothing to do with you. I mean, genetically, you made the kid, but they come out of you looking very different. And so I might have a child that I can't reach. You know, if your child is avoidant, doesn't want to talk about it, procrastinates, tries to put their head in the sand. If I was raising your child, I may not be able to do anything with that child either, because you can only do what you can with the, with the child in front of you. And so we always look, well, I don't say we always, but we often look at ourselves as the cause like, wow, that parent's doing something great. And I'm not, no, that child might be wired differently. And that, that is what it is. You don't get to control that aspect. So that's one thing. Um, I want to go through the list though. Um, so then home environment was the third thing that I talked about. I want to say that I used to work in foster care. I've had many hats in my lifetime, but I used to work in an infant and toddler mental health clinic. And there were a lot of kids who were in foster care, been severely abused. I also worked in a treatment center with severely abused kids a really, really long time ago. I used to license foster homes. So I've been, I've dealt with a lot of kids who have been in really bad home environments. And guess what? Not many of them had anxiety or OCD. They had trauma, they had PTSD, you know, some of them might've had some mental health issues, but I did not see a lot of OCD or anxiety, not any more than I would see in the normal population. Now, obviously I haven't done research on that, but my point is the home environment alone didn't cause a disorder. And so if there's a genetic predisposition for anxiety or OCD, and then there's some stressors in the home. Yeah, that can, that can maybe blossom blossoms, probably the wrong word, but it can bring out the anxiety or OCD, but you can have a perfect environment and you can just have a ticking time bomb that says, you know what, genetically, this is going to sprout between 10 and 12. And I don't care if they're living with Mary Poppins between 10 and 12, this genetic seed is going to sprout and it does. And so home environment in and of itself, it can make things worse for sure. Not going to discount that at all. Um, a rough home environment, any kind of stressor can create more anxiety or OCD, but did it cause that? No. Yeah. That genetic seed there first, we're not talking about trauma, but we're just talking about disorders. And the last one's genetics. And I always say, you know, there's a lot of nasty things that run in my family. Diabetes is rampant in my family. So if my kids had to get anxiety or OCD, you know what? They're going to get something. We all pass a mixed bag of genetics into our kids. And I'm not going to beat myself up for my genetics. I have no control over that. And so, yeah, my home environment, can I improve that? Yes, I have some control. Um, not doing enough, I can work on that. But also, there's a limited amount that I can do, right? I can only do so much. And then there's a lot of it that's out of my control. But genetics, you don't control that. <laughs> you don't control that at all. And so if we can't control it, we have to let it go in a perfect world because it is what it is. You could be giving your child asthma. You can be giving your child all sorts of nastiness that's going to pop up in their thirties or forties. And so we all have our struggles with what we, what we give to our kids. And the silver lining is anxiety and OCD is highly treatable. And there is neuroplasticity where children can work on, you know, rewiring their brain and you can't rewire your lungs so that you don't have asthma and you can't rewire your pancreas. so You don't have diabetes. So 
um, there is a silver lining to that. Okay. I want to talk about how this doesn't help our kids (laughs) and not in a blaming sort of way, but I do feel like when we put the blame firmly on ourselves, we can, one, we may not want to admit this. It can create some resentment towards our children because it can make us feel ineffective. And when we feel ineffective, we feel like a bad parent. We feel like a bad parent. We can get angry because it's kind of like, I'm doing what I need to be doing. Why aren't you doing your part? You know, you're making me feel like a bad parent. And so that can create an energy of wanting to push more. I did a whole episode recently on, on when to push and when to pull. Did you see that? Um, when to push your kids and when to pull your kids. Let me see. It was episode 233, when to push and when not to push our kids with anxiety or OCD. And when we blame ourselves, we're more likely to push harder or not push hard enough. Now that I think about it, it depends on your, your style of parenting. You might feel like, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. My child's having a really hard time. I'm going to pull back on everything because maybe I'm being too hard on them or whatever. So you might not push, but I think more often we're going to see that you're going to push too hard because you're going to think, I'm not doing enough. Oh my gosh, that compulsion came back. We need to roll up our sleeves and do this. And I'm going to push pretty hard because otherwise I'm a bad parent. And sometimes we have to just pick our battles. Sometimes they're going to be doing a lot of things that are going to be growing their anxiety or OCD because we're only focusing on one step at a time. And that can make you feel like a bad parent because you could think, okay, they're doing all of these things and I'm not addressing it. And it's really dysfunctional, but we're working on this one area but that's the pace your child can handle. And so if that's the pace your child can handle, we have to, we can't go faster than our child. Um, We can learn our own education. We can go fast on that route. Um, You can learn about the space program, Elliot Leibowitz's space program, which is working on your own accommodations. I mean, that's a good thing. I do have a whole online study guide, like video course that you can take that walks you through the space program. Yeah, you can do all that but you can't force your child to do what they're not ready to do. You can affect, you can change your behavior and what you do, but you can't impact your child's behavior forcefully. And that becomes tricky, right? So when we blame ourselves, we kind of take away our child's self-efficacy, their self-determination. It's like, we don't believe in them. We're not letting them own some of this and not in a bad way where we say, this is your problem. And if you can get off your butt and start working on this, things will get better. But we recognize in our own head, this is my child's journey for whatever reason, whatever your belief system is, this is showing up in their life and I'm part of that journey, but it is not my journey, right? I can create, you know, the most optimal environment and I can educate myself and I can respond in the way that I'm supposed to respond and I can validate and be there. But I am a side note to someone else's journey. And I know that might seem harsh, but we are. We are temporarily part of their journey and only for a very short period of time because they're going to be 18 and then 19 and they're out of the house and we're there to support them. We're like ancillary support. We're there to support them, but we are not the main dish. We are not writing that journey. That's not our journey. Part of our journey is raising a child with anxiety or OCD. That's our story, but their story is their own struggles. And we can help with that and support them, but we're not, we're not the main cast. We're supporting cast, you know, and I think that's important to recognize that 
when we take on all the burden, we're also devaluing our child's journey and our child's like their self-efficacy. I don't know. That's the only word that comes to me is like, if they're going to do it, they're going to have to do it themselves. And we can create an environment for that, but we can't force it. It reminds me of how like parents will sometimes say to me, Natasha, we'll take my, um, how to teach kids to crush OCD course. And they'll say, Natasha, I don't know how to spot if they're doing a mental compulsion and I can't control that because if they're doing a mental compulsion, how do I know that? And I feel like when parents say that to me, I feel like they've missed an integral part of what I'm teaching, which is your passenger in this journey. The whole reason why I make these courses to teach you, to teach your kids is because we have to coach our kids to help themselves. And that's a missing piece is that we don't realize that we can't do this for them or to them, but we have to show them how that's all we can do is show them how sometimes they don't want to know. Right. But that's all we can do is show them how, and then they get to decide, they get to decide what they do with that information. And we can show up and, you know, show them how again, but we don't want to over push it. But when we show them how we're planting seeds, but if they don't want to listen to what you're showing them, there's something you do about it. So my response to that is often because uh, people can leave me comments in my courses. And I normally say the first step is teaching your child what a mental compulsion is. Have them watch my YouTube video on mental compulsions. Explain to them what mental compulsions are. Cause most kids don't understand that when they are arguing with OCD, you know, am I a bad person or am I not a bad person? Is this poisonous or is this not poisonous? Um, did I say that? Or did I not say that? that they're doing mental compulsion. So once we educate them on that and say, when you are doing that, this is what you can do instead. And then we got to let it go. I'm not going to be the mental compulsion place and go around saying you're staring off in space. Are you doing a mental compulsion? Because you better not be. We don't get to control that, right? And so a lot of it is letting go of what we can't control. That's why it's important for us to just be able to be in the moment and teach our kids. This afternoon, my daughter got back from school you know, it's like waiting for the right time. <laughs> you know, it's like jump rope. It's like double Dutch. It's like, I'm waiting, you know, when is that opportunity that I can jump in there, get in there, tell her what I want and then jump back out. And I said to her, um, she didn't really want to listen to me, but she was having a snack and we were by ourselves. And I said, I just want to tell you one thing about, you know, how you talk to yourself. And at first I just said, it's sad that sometimes you don't think that you're worthy or that you're not good enough. And, you know, I know you said that that's something that, that you have to work on. That's not something that I can do, but I wonder in what ways you can try to start working on it. What's something you can do? And she didn't have any answers, but I didn't want to start off, you know, telling her what to do without seeing if she had any ideas. And I think sometimes we swoop in and we want to fix things and we don't take a step back. And so I did that. And I'm trying to think what she did. She did say something, but it, you know, it wasn't really where I was going. And I said, I think those are really good. I think the other thing that you want to do is, and I kind of like put my hands together. I folded my fingers together. And I said, sometimes we have this negative voice in our head and it's part of us. So we don't even, we're not even aware of it. That negative voice that says, oh my gosh, that's so stupid. Why'd you say that? Or, oh my gosh, you got that grade. Oh my gosh, that's so bad. You're such an idiot. Right. And I go, when you separate that out a little bit and you become aware of that negative voice, it's very helpful. And then you create an alternative voice and that alternative voice you're not normally born with. You have, you have to actually birth that voice and you have to create it. 
And that voice says, don't call her stupid. <laughs> you know, she's not stupid. That was a hard test, right? And so I could tell she wasn't into my conversation, but I just said, I just want you to start paying attention. And if you can separate out that negative voice, and I kind of move my fingers apart a little bit, a little space in between that negative voice and your brain, and that you can have a little space to, bre- to create that new positive voice. So every time you have that negative thought, you want to recognize it. That was a seed, whether it sprouts or not, it was a seed. That's the only thing I can do. And then I got to let it go. Right. I don't, I'm not going to come in and be like, you know, every day, did you have any negative thoughts? What were they, you know, have a positive thought. I'm not going to do that. I'm just like, I, I left a seed and that's it because that's, that's her journey. Right. And sometimes we have to think we have to really struggle to get through to the other side. And sometimes, I mean, I believe that sometimes these things make us stronger and I know that I have to believe in her and I have to believe in her story and her journey, that her journey is meant for her and her alone. And that I'm a visitor, I'm a passenger in it. And there are certain things that I can control. And there are certain things that you can control. We get to show up and try to be the best that we can be. And you're going to mess it up because I mess it up. And then the next day we just say, okay, I'm going to show up better the next day. And not that you're going to permanently show up better the next day. My new thing is like today, I'm going to try to make this the best day that I can make it. And if it's not the best day, that's fine. Right. And then tomorrow's it's like a reset. Tomorrow's another day. Like I see them as individual squares, not as a whole picture. (laughs) And that helps because every day is a new day. And so it's like starting fresh the next day, because we're not going to always have those just stellar parent moments and that's okay. But you don't get to control everything. Your child might really struggle with anxiety or OCD and you've done everything right. You have brought them to the best therapists and you've taken OCD courses and you've trained yourself. You've read books. You listen to this podcast. You know everything about it. And their child, your child is still not doing well. Well, that's not your fault, right? Even if you're doing it imperfectly, you haven't you know, completely studied OCD or you can't find an OCD therapist, whatever. You're doing the best thing that you can do with what you have, um, with money, with what you have, with time, with what you have, with energy. You're doing the best that you have. And that's going to look different for each one of us. But you are showing up and doing what you can do. And sometimes it's not going to be enough. And that's just the journey that you're on, right? Sometimes we can do so much for someone and it doesn't seem to help. But that is as far as we can go. And that's all you can do. And so that's the only part you have control over. And I think when we believe in our children, even if they're not showing up, to this battle. They're not showing up to work on their skills. We have to believe in their journey and say, we all have a journey in life. We all have our struggles. We all have bumps and there's things that nobody can take away from us, right? Nobody can help me with my grief. That's a me problem. I can talk to a million widows and go to a million grief counselors, but it doesn't matter because it's some, it's part of my scar. It's part of my journey that I'm having to carry. And It's the same thing for our kids. That's part of their story. It's part of their journey. And sometimes we may not know why they have to carry those things, but we get to just do the small part that we get to do, which it can feel small, which is just create that environment that we want them to have and show up in the, in the most optimal way that we can and have grace and compassion for ourselves when we don't, because we won't always. And if we, you know, get that whip out. 
that metaphorical whip and we, you know, have a self-hating session or a self-hating week or a self-hating month, we're going to take energy away from our kids and we're going to actually focus it on ourselves. We're going to feel more hopeless. We're going to feel more despondent. We're going to feel more depressed. And then we're not going to be in a space to be there for our children. (laughs) It's like making you feel guilty for feeling bad, (laughs) but I want you to see how it, it doesn't serve not only you, but it doesn't serve your child. And so self-compassion is actually giving back to your kids because when you take care of yourself and you know where to focus your attention and you know where you don't have control, you're going to have more energy. And I actually did a whole YouTube video that came out last week on Thursday on, um, having kids celebrate their wins and why that's crucial. The YouTube video is called, do you struggle with OCD or anxiety? Why celebrating your wins is crucial in case you want to go to my YouTube channel and you can do a search on that title. It should be the first one. If you're listening to this podcast as it comes out, but otherwise you can search that. And the YouTube video is about how mindset is like half the battle. And so if you are not celebrating those small wins, and this goes for you too, If you're not celebrating those small steps, those small victories, you're constantly seeing the end game and you're constantly seeing how like, you know, there's so much more to go and how horrible it is. This is what I was telling the the kids or the teens or whoever listens to my YouTube channel, because even adults listen to that. But I was saying that you're going to feel hopeless and you're not, it's like if a boss is nagging you and constantly saying, nope, nope, you didn't do that right. You didn't do that right. You'd feel overwhelmed and you would feel hopeless. And it's the same when we spin our wheels feeling guilt and blame and, you know, pointing fingers and wanting to know what caused this and you're not doing enough. All that energy could be devoted to preserving, you know, your ability to like handle the chaos around you and not be part of the chaos and give you the stamina to be able to show up for your child and to show up for yourself. Because raising a child with anxiety or OCD is exhausting. It's legitimately exhausting. You're going to need that energy. And so where you can save it, where it's not necessary and blaming yourself is not necessary. It's not serving you. It's not helping you. That's something you can cut out. So I hope that this was a little inspiring. I hope it helped a little bit to look at the areas where maybe you are placing blame and it's an area that you don't have control and that you're able to let go. So I hope that you're finding the podcast helpful in general. I appreciate if you can hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. I appreciate that. And if you have a few extra minutes, if you can leave a review, I love that. And to show my gratitude, I always like to end my show reading one of them. So I want to thank Winter96, who wrote, 25-year-old college student loves your content. Hi, Natasha. I just want to say I have been faithfully listening to your podcast for two years now. And I've watched your YouTube videos as well. You must really know me. (laughs) The knowledge and content that you share is really life-changing and has helped tremendously with my own OCD and anxiety. I know in the future it will help when I have children as well. Sorry to hear about the loss of your husband. I think of you and your children often. You're a beacon to so many, and I'm glad you're taking care of yourself. Well, thank you, Winter. And I'm so glad that I can be there for you. Um, Thanks for listening for so long. And I'm glad to hear that it's helping. Um, I really do hope that my YouTube channel um, and this podcast are reaching more than parents and kids. And I, I know, especially on my YouTube channel, it's predominantly uh, young adults who are listening to my YouTube channel. Um, I think parents will have their kids 
listen, but predominantly it's young adults. So I'm glad that you are finding it and you're finding it helpful. And thanks for writing a review. I appreciate that. And if you guys write a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.